let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello and thanks for joining today. I ask you, have you already used biometrics for authentication? Do you like it? Do you use it often? Well, today we are going to have a guest in which who will discuss with us the world of biometrics and what are the things happening today. So let me introduce you. Our guest today is Susana Lopez. Susana is a varied background in product management in the business-to-business space. She has a breadth of platform experience from webfront and backend, iOS, Android, and machine learning infrastructure. Her current role is director of product are on Fido, specifically focusing on their biometric product offering. Hi, Susana. Hi, Oscar. How are you? Oh, very good. I'm really happy to talk with you and learn more about uh, biometrics and what you are doing in Onfido. So first of all, I would like to hear more about uh, your journey to the world of digital identity. Sure. So about three years ago, I joined Onfido and we are an identity verification business. So we want to help people prove who they claim to be, prove that they are who they claim to be when they're trying to rent a car or when they're trying to open a bank account so that they can do that without having to go to a store or to a bank front, <laughs> particularly useful in, in pandemics. So when I when I joined Onfido, I originally was looking after our identity databases products. So making sure that your name, your date of birth, your address are known in, say, credit rate agencies or in government databases. So that was my first introduction to the world of identity. And then later on, I actually was one of the founding members of the biometrics team. And we started looking at when you use an identity document issued by a government, such as a driver's license or a passport to prove your identity, we also need to prove that that document belongs to you. So we don't have situations like your kids trying to pretend to be you because they want to rent a car and they're not 18 yet. And so that's where biometrics comes in, in the context of digital identity around Fido. Essentially, we use facial biometrics to compare the face of the person against the face on the document to make sure the document belongs to them. So that's what I've been up to for the last three years, making that work really well. Okay, excellent. Sounds good. I guess some people who are hearing this have an idea what biometrics is. So let's jump into, so what biometrics in particular in, in identity what biometrics enable that other identifiers cannot? So biometrics are uh, a unique characteristic of, of your body that doesn't change over time or, or not significantly over time. And that can be used to, to identify you. And, and because it is something that is <laughs> of your body, it means that every single person in the world has them. So <laughs> you have irises, you have fingerprints, you have a face, and, and that is not the case for other identifiers, right? You might not necessarily have a passport, you might not have a driver's license, you might not be in a government database, you might not have a bank account and therefore not be in a credit rating agency. So just by design, biometrics are much more open and inclusive. The other thing is that they can be used for multiple different things. So biometrics can be used to anonymously check that you are still you without necessarily knowing who you are. And a great example of this would be like Face ID or any sort of biometrics that are used to unlock your phone 
all they're trying to check is that your face is still the same as the face that was used to register that account or maybe your, your fingerprint. But no one really knows what, who that face belongs to. So biometrics are quite versatile and that they can be used to identify people in a, in a completely anonymous way or re-verifying that they're still themselves. But then from a point of view of identity that is tied to a real world human, and by that I mean identity that can be tied to a name and to a date of birth, then biometrics are really awesome because there is such a thing as almost a universal biometric, which is facial biometrics, because those are all present on identity documents. So identity documents around the world have sort of standardized on always including a face on them, or at least the vast, vast majority of them have them. So that's a really cool thing where biometrics can be used to anonymously recheck that you are still you without necessarily knowing who you are, but they can also be used to tie you to a government-issued identity, and that makes for a very powerful model. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's, um, as you, you explained, there are different advantages of using biometrics against other ways of authentication of having someone identity. And if we see that uh, the benefits both for consumers and businesses, so what are the concrete benefits? So there's a benefit that comes to mind, which is biometrics can't really be stolen, at least not stolen at scale. So no one can really steal your face or your iris or, or things like that. The other benefits are, are privacy, particularly in the authentication scenarios. So it's very simple for you to unlock your phone and Apple never really knows who you are. They don't need to know. It's, it's a very secure way of doing so while using a technology that, that is very private. Then convenience, obviously, you, you don't need to remember your password. You don't need to go and open a bank account. You don't need to go and pick up the keys to whatever service you are trying to access. So biometrics is a, an extremely convenient way to verifying people's identities or authenticate them. Because they always have their face with them. They always have their fingerprints with them. So it is a modality that is really heavy on the convenience side of things. And then the other thing is also more security. So one simple example of that is it's very, very, <laughs> it, it's a very effective way against phishing, for example. So someone could try to pretend to be, let's go for a topical example. Someone could try to pretend to be from the track and trace team trying to tackle COVID and try to convince you to give them your details or give them something that will compromise your identity later. Or, or someone might try to call you and pretend to be your bank and you might give them a, a unique pin code to get access to it. You can't do that with biometrics. You can't just give them your face or mm, give them yes. your fingerprint. <laughs> so it protects users even against themselves in situations that they might not realize they're under attack. Yes, that's true. You cannot give your, your face, your finger, exactly. And that comes to one question that we have seen in, I don't know, in relatively recent years that some people, for instance, take a photo of, of they use a photo of you to, to authenticate. In some cases that happens, some, some systems have uh, allowed that mm, by... That's called uh, spoofing. So, wh so why that happen? Uh, with, uh, <laughs> that, that means that that particular authenticator is not of a great quality. So when you're building a, a, a biometric system, you're building two things. One is you're building a comparison engine of some sort. So you want to make sure that whatever was used to create that identity to in some way, either it is that face that you registered when you bought the phone or it is the identity document in our case. And then you want to make sure that it's the same face with the user that's in front of the camera right now or, or putting their finger on the sensor or whatever biometric you're using. 
So that's the comparison part. And, and that's generally the easy part, as long as you're fairly robust to things like noise and light and reflections and sunglasses and things like that. So, so that's bread and butter. The second thing that you need to do is make sure that the biometric that's being presented in front of the camera or the sensor is real. And that's called anti-spoofing. It's also called liveness detection. And that's something that as an industry, there's been a lot of investment into, but not all biometrics have, not all biometric authenticators have very strong anti-spoofing capabilities. And so what we're looking for is, is it a photo of a photo? Is it a photo of a printout? Is it a photo on a digital screen? Is it a 3D mask? Is it, is it a, a latex mask? Is it a deep fake? Is it all sorts of crazy things in which people try to be someone else? And yeah, that, that's an area where we at Alpido are very proud to be very strong at, but not every, not every biometric authenticator will be very good at their certification programs and things like that that you can go through to show that you can do that very well. So that's been a, a failure of design in, in these two elements that you, that you mentioned, the comparison and the anti-spoofing, the, the yeah. checking the live. So it would, it would successfully compare, but then it wouldn't detect that face is not a real face, for example. Mm, yeah. And that is a crucial element of creating a good, solid biometric authenticator. Yes, uh, because I believe some uh, brands with good reputation had, had fallen into that in not long ago, so I hope they are... Are you thinking about phone manufacturers in particular? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so those manufacturers actually have an advantage that not all biometric providers have because they control the hardware. So they can do very smart things. And Apple in particular is, is excellent at this. They have specialized hardware that, that allows them to do things like infrared and, and other things that you don't necessarily get as a software-only vendor. So there's a lot of opportunity for, for those software, sorry, hardware manufacturers and, and us as an industry as a whole to get a lot better at this, but it is a fundamental component. And without anti-spoofing, biometrics are essentially useless. Okay, something that you you mentioned also privacy as one of the advantages of of biometrics, but also uh, there's also some concerns. There are some concerns about biometrics while being used in a bad way for that uh, because it's becoming a more widespread identifying with a person. So what, your, what are your thoughts about those concerns? I think it's worth separating the different use cases of biometrics. So as we, we talked about, biometrics for unlocking your phone is one aspect. And the company that owns the phone or created the phone doesn't know who you are. And so that's a very privacy by design kind of use case, which uses biometrics. And you've got the onfidos of the world that do identity verification, where we are trying to verify your claim. You say, well, I say I'm Susanna. And then we go, yeah, you are Susanna. So we are not attempting to prove that you are someone else. So we're not trying to spy on you. We're not, <laughs> we're literally trying to verify your existing claim. So that, that is very bounded in terms of privacy. Surveillance is, is a third, third scenario, in which case privacy starts to get a little bit invaded, you could argue, because you're, all you're doing is you're walking down the street, you're not minding anyone's, <laughs> minding your own business, doing whatever you need to do, and suddenly someone is watching you and attempting to recognize you. And so that is a, a different usage of biometrics. And when I think about it, I'm a little bit concerned of how sometimes we confuse these three use cases and then we say biometrics are bad. Biometrics are an excellent technology, and it's about how do we put in place the right guidelines, the right regulations to make sure that these three use cases, and there's many more, 
are done in a way that complies with what people are trying to achieve and protects their rights and their freedoms. So there's already been some really great work in creating regulations by governments, for example, the GDPR done by the European Union and also some great laws coming out of California that start to create much more granular guidance for biometrics depending on its usage. So, for example, when biometrics are used to uniquely identify and recognize someone, such as in surveillance, they're in a different category of personal data. They become a special category of personal data. And that means that the scrutiny and the types of controls that are needed to put in place to be compliant with the GDPR are much, much higher and and much more strict. Whereas biometrics that are used for other use cases that are not about surveillance have more looser and and more generous uh, controls. Okay, so this mostly uh, the concerns are falling to this third use case, third use case that mm, goes more, in, mm, more and, into the And there's the already some great work to mitigate those risks. I think because the onus is on governments to do so, that has meant that we have a little bit of a patchy regulatory framework at the world scale, right? So you've got some great work being done in Europe. You've got some great work starting in California and some other states in the US. Other countries are not necessarily implementing these types of measures and and regulatory frameworks at the same speed. But I think we're going in the right direction and there's a lot of cross-pollination and learning from each other that's already happening. And in this context of surveillance, only the governments have the capability to do that or is possible that, let's say, someone who can put cameras, build a system and do some surveillance? uh, So to build a surveillance system, you need two things. You need some sort of engine that is able to look at a capture, either through a camera or some other sensor, and then match those faces in this case, because faces is typically what's being used as a biometric for surveillance, then match those faces against something (laughs) and then say, yes, I found a match. Now, that something is the critical part. So the something could just be a picture of my best friend. And I've decided that I want to be alerted every time my best friend comes to my front door. So I put a little camera in front of in front of my front door and then I wire this biometric system to return a match when it finds my best friend and I get like a push notification. That is a little bit of a surveillance use case in that my best friend doesn't know this is happening. There's just a camera. He's not provided any consent and he's being matched without making any claims. He's not saying, I am Susanna's best friend. Is that true? Which would be an identity verification use case. He's just walking up to the door and I'm getting told that that's my best friend. So that is one thing that I could do very easily, but that doesn't scale very well, right? That's just one person. What governments have that individuals don't necessarily have are databases, and this will very much depend on the countries. For example, in the UK, this is not something we do have, as have databases of faces associated with names, right? So when you start linking those biometrics with an identity, that's when you start having the power to watch over people and see what they're doing. And so those types of activities are highly regulated in Europe. And then that will vary around the world. Who has that data and how do they store it and how do they use it? 
Yes. Okay. Very nicely illustrated. I mean, you can you could make some uh, homemade uh, surveillance, but <laughs> it doesn't scale. Yeah. So I mean, you could do it for all of your friends. You could download everyone's picture from Facebook and and say, "This is my friend. This is blah blah blah." And then every time they show up at your door, you get a little notification on your phone. You know, that could be a fun a fun uh, <laughs> a fun pandemic project. Really. <laughs> Now I kind of want to do that myself. But but you see what I mean. The the, the real value is not on the matching ability. It's on the database itself yeah exactly that's why the um, the government have the power of doing that okay yes they're very interesting on that as well and you say that regulations are already uh, doing um, the right steps to protect people right Yeah, absolutely. So the, the usage of biometrics is regulated, as I mentioned it in particular parts of the world quite well. So the area that I think is a little bit murky and that we're actually helping build out a little bit more, flesh that out a little bit more is how do you even create biometric systems? So to go a bit deeper is how do you create the algorithms and the technology that is able to do this surveillance in the first place or able to do this matching in the first place? A lot of those systems are based on machine learning, and machine learning is a very, very data-hungry <laughs> technology, right? It, it needs to learn from annotated data, and the process of collecting that data with the collect correct consent, the process of training that data, um, training those algorithms, there isn't a lot of regulatory framework that helps companies like us and, and many others uh, that do biometrics around the world at doing that in a way that matches what, what the regulators would expect because they haven't really crystallized what best practice would look like. So we, Onfido has actually been working with the Information Commissioner's Office in, in the UK in developing machine learning algorithms, particularly with regards to algorithmic bias. But uh, we were doing so under the supervision of the regulator because we want to help them create regulations that are informed by industry practice. So they created this regulatory sandbox and they invited a bunch of companies. And so that meant that we got guidance from them on how we should do things. And they got guidance from us on how we think these regulations can best protect the consumers and also optimize for businesses to be able to build a technology that at the end of the, the day provides value for us all. So that, that work has been really fulfilling and, and we have some early indications that there's some, some new regulations that might come around based on, on some of the experiences and, and the shared learning. I think when we have these type of industry and, and regulatory bodies coming together, I think we, we can make like really great strides and creating regulation for things that the regulatory bodies wouldn't have even considered, right? For them, the first priority was to regulate the use of biometrics. But then we went to them and we go, we went, you know, to create that technology in the first place, there's a lot of personal data that is needed. Like we want to have a conversation because we want to make sure that we're doing this right by the regulation, but also by the users. And as you mentioned, the algorithmic bias, that's another topic that has been also in the news the recent months, I would say, last, last couple of years. And yeah, that's also something that hmm, people are getting suspicious about um, biometrics. So do you think this poses a, a barrier for biometrics to be more widely used as an identifier? I think algorithmic bias has manifestates itself in, in a lot of ways and places. So one of the things that typically gets talked about the most is about race. Um, so typically, because the countries that are creating the algorithms often are using, sorry, because the companies creating 
the algorithms are using data sets that are more representative of the countries that they're living in, often the algorithms reflect that data set that went into it. And it's much more likely to perform better in a particular ethnicity rather than the other. But ethnicity is not just the only one. There's also age and, and gender and other demographics. The National Institutes of Technology in the US, NIST, has recently put out some great studies assessing some fairly common algorithms against not only not only ethnicity, but also age and gender and, and all the demographics. And they talk about it as, as demographic differentials. They don't use the word bias because bias seems to indicate that it puts uh, people at a disadvantage. And they talk about differentials because sometimes there is an advantage to the, the system performing differently for certain demographics. So it might make it easier for you to open a bank account because you're of that particular demographic, whatever that is, or it might make it harder. It depends on which way the, the difference in performance swings. One thing from their study that was really interesting was that, of course, there's racial differences, but there's also, <laughs> when you combine race and, and age, the group that performed the worst across the board were white uh, males that are old, which they call the Santa Claus effect. <laughs> and so the, there was definitely a, a difference in performance there. And often th- those people are also underrepresented. So going back to your to your question, do, do I feel like this poses a, a, a barrier? Uh, there's there's two things is, do we feel like it poses a barrier to, to adoption because of consumer sentiment or from a regulatory point of view? I mean, consumer sentiment, obviously, people are already talking about this, which is, which is fantastic because it puts the pressure not only on the companies to address the issue head on, but it also puts the pressure on the regulators to start talking about algorithmic fairness, right? So when you're using something to fundamentally either allow people to access services or when you're doing this to do surveillance exercises, uh, when you're trying to find people of interest, for example, it's really important that fairness um, is one of the buying criteria. And can you talk to the vendor that you're considering and can they show you that they've done their homework, that they've tested across a data set that is representative of, of the use case that you want to do, right? Though all of those things are, are becoming more to the surface. And I think the fact that we're talking about it is, is fantastic. I think a lot of it will have to do with transparency, right? Like how can vendors really show that they've done this work and uh, how can regulators can, can force the hand to make sure that this is, this is addressed throughout, not only at, at a company by company level, but this becomes like the norm, the standard this is how a good performing authenticator or verification system works. And we at Onfeed have been doing a huge amount of work on this. And as I mentioned, collaborating with the ICO to, to make it happen. It's just a good thing that as an industry, we're, we're tackling this head on now. So it's a good thing that people talk about that because there will be uh, impact in both the technology um, providers, the ones who created technology, the products, the regulators also, because they have to um, make sure that the technology vendors do the right products, but also the buyers, right? So for mm-hmm. uh, people and organizations who are going to buy these products, they're going to be much better informed. Yeah, excellent. Um, I would like to hear also about Onfido, if you can briefly tell us what is your service. So how you combine all these things we have been talking about, biometrics and what is special in your offering? So Onfido is, as I mentioned, an identity verification provider. So typically when you're either trying to rent a car or open a bank account or 
I don't know, transfer some money to to a family member that lives abroad or many, many different uh, types of scenarios. Normally, historically, you would have had to go somewhere. And then at some point they would go, please show me your identity document because I either need to know who you are from a regulation point of view, or I need to know that you're old enough, or I need to know that you have the right to drive this particular type of vehicle. So those are just some examples of what people would typically do. What Onfido offers is it allows you to do that from the comfort of your own home. So instead of going to somewhere, you would take a photo of your identity document that was provided by a government. So that could be your driver's license, your passport, your residence permit, a visa, whatever. So you take a photo of that and then you take a photo of yourself and that's basically it. So Onfido would then use machine learning and specialist analysts to make sure that those pieces of information are genuine so that the document is real, that it belongs to you and, and the belonging to you is what biometrics is being used to comparing the face on the document to the face that you have on the selfie, and then making sure that the face is real, right? The anti-spoofing, which we talked about, make sure that your face is not a photo of a photo, a photo of a print, a mask, a deep fake, all of those wonderful things that fraudsters try to use to, to pretend to be you. And we do so with, with very simple to integrate technology through an SDK, or you can integrate directly through our API. And then you get all of those results via API as well. So you can build your own flows, but also through a dashboard. So you can investigate what kind of answers we've given back. And they're very detailed as well. So you can make very custom flows based on what we said, either give feedback to the user, onboard them, block them, raise the risk level that you see associated with this person. Yeah, so we've, we've been building that. And the, the end user just need a, a device uh, like a laptop yeah. or a phone connected to internet with a camera and, and that's it. That's right. Either a phone or, or a laptop with a camera or even a normal laptop without a camera. And they would receive either a QR code that they can use their phone to take the photo or, or even a text message. Obviously, we prefer it if you use your phone because the quality of the cameras there are much, much higher and it allows us to be more accurate in terms of the types of fraud we can detect, but we can work very well with webcams as well. So it's all about widening access and, and giving people the ability to, I don't know, during, during the pandemic, they can't go see a doctor to get their prescription. They might sign up to one of our clients, verify their identity through Onfido, and then be able to order their repeat prescriptions online through an app or through a website, or even sign up verify their identity, and then have a, a virtual consultation with a doctor. So we are essentially allowing people to access all of these services that they would have had to, to do in person before. And we're very proud to be helping in a pandemic type situation. Very fortunate to be in a position to be able to help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, many people don't cannot, for instance, travel. We'll not go to travel for, for months, so you can do this identity verification quite, quite easily. Finally, I would like to ask you uh, also for thinking of the end users, like a normal person, if you give us a tip, practical advice for anybody to protect our digital identities. <laughs> okay. So one thing that I think about when I'm accessing services online is how much information am I sharing and why? So one thing I notice is when you're filling in a form, so maybe I'm ordering something on the internet, they ask so many questions of me. And I'm just machinely, like, automatically going through them and answering all the questions. Where was I born? And blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the time, you realize that a lot of those answers are not actually needed. So one, one thing I would encourage people to, to think about is 
hey, can I get away with giving them less information? Sometimes they only need your name and they need a password. And then they give you all these things to fill out that they don't actually need. And you can click save without filling all of that out. That protects your digital identity because your digital identity is, is almost anything that you do online, right? It, it builds a profile of what you care about and what you do and what you buy. So the least information you give, the more protected you are. The other thing you could do is very similar example is when you're logging in with Facebook or Google or logging in with LinkedIn, when you're creating that link, often it goes, hey, you're about to give permission for this company to do so-and-so to your LinkedIn profile. And often it gives you controls on what you want to share. So I would also encourage that you review those settings before you blindly click yes, because many times you can get away with just giving that third-party company your name, but they want more, right? (laughs) They want your date of birth. They want your friends list because they want to market to them. So just be conscious of what is strictly necessary and what isn't and what can you keep to yourself because that company doesn't need to know all of those things, really. Yeah, definitely. In the two cases, you say the the less information you give to the companies, the the better you are protecting yourself. Okay, well, that's that's very, very nice. Thanks a lot, uh, Susanna, for, for sharing everything about biometrics. was was very, very interesting. So please let us know how people can get in touch with you, what are the best ways to follow your work or what Ofido is doing. The best place would be to, to either go to the Onfido website, that's O-N-F-I-D-O.com, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter, or if you're more into the technology side of things, we've got an excellent technology blog on, on Medium. If you look for Onfido technology blog, there should be some pretty interesting content there too. Excellent. Well, again, thanks a lot for this conversation, Susanna, and all the best. All right. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time.